It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. You may have a seat. Amen. 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 That's the last time Desiree is ever reading. Um, I wonder what embarrassing stories I can tell. I had a sermon to preach, but now I've decided to just fill it with embarrassing stories of Desiree. Ah, it's true. It's true. It was a rough, rough morning. All right, friends, here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to get into that text. But before we do, before we do, I want to have like a little interaction, okay? We're going we're gonna to interact with each other in this place. And I know some of you are like brand new. It's Easter Sunday. You're like, please don't put me on the spot. Please don't put me on the spot. Please don't put me on the spot. Don't worry. I'm not going to. We're going to have a digital interaction here. So what I need you to do is pull out your phone, all right? I know everybody in the room's got a phone. So this only works if everybody kind of participates. And so pull out your phone. Um, open up the browser app on your phone, and I need you to go to minty.com, M-E-N-T-I.com. It's going to ask you for a little code. You're going to put in that code. Now, listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to collect your information. I'm not stealing your identity, right? You're not going to, this is all anonymous. You're not going to get spammed. I'm just going to ask you a question, okay? So you go to minty.com, and you put in that code, and I'm going to ask you two really, really important questions, okay? And when you get there, you should see the first one. You guys seen it? It's what is the best Easter candy? Okay, we've got to settle this debate this morning, all right? Now, we're going to generate a word cloud. Before you answer, I know some of you already are, we're going to generate a word cloud, and so you've got to be really concise and specific. You, you cannot say, like, the candy that my grandma gave me when I was five years old that she made herself. No, 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 don't do that. Okay, in order for a word cloud to work, it's got to be concise, it's got to be specific, it's got to be what everybody else is thinking in the room, okay? So read each other's minds and say, this is how I would answer the question. I know everybody's going to answer the question the same way. You got it? Let's see what you guys have up here. Peeps, come on, get out. Peeps is still dominating. That has never happened before. Okay, so the way the word cloud works, right, the one that's most close to the center and the largest, okay, is the winner so far. Now, Cadbury eggs is, oh, there it is. Cadbury eggs just beat up peeps. Of course it did. Um, chocolate, that's pretty broad. That's pretty, that's kind of broad. Um, but okay. Cadbury, yeah, Reese's, Reese's eggs is catching up there on the side, but not quite there yet. Uh, and Cadbury eggs. Now, are we talking Cadbury mini eggs or are we talking about egg? Okay. All right. Yeah. Now, here's the problem. Okay. Let me, let's see. Okay. So we got cat, there's Cadbury eggs in the middle, but then there's Cadbury, uh, chocolate eggs. There's many misspellings of Cadbury. I don't know if you guys see that or not, but like, 
That's the problem with the word cloud. It's like you've got to get it right. But Cadbury eggs is the clear winner here. And, and just for the record, it was the 915 as well. It said that it was Cadbury mini eggs very specifically, which Cadbury mini eggs are amazing. Uh, I can't believe Peeps is doing as well as it is. Reese's eggs was a clear second in, in the first gathering. So you guys understand how this works, right? Everybody's got it. Everybody's figuring this out. Okay. Minty.com, enter in that code. I mean, here's the next question, okay? It's going to populate on your phone right now. What is the gospel? This is the question that everybody must know. You must be able to answer this question. And so it should come up on your phone now. You guys see it on your phone? What is the gospel? Now, remember, word cloud, concise, one, two, three, four words max, okay? So you can't, you can't just give me a whole scripture, right? What is the gospel? In the simplest form, what is the gospel? Do you guys see it on your phone? I'm getting blank stares. It's still loading. What have we done? There it is. Okay, we got it. You know, it's just everybody's on the internet at the same time here. There we go. Love, Jesus. There we go. Perfect. The good news. All right. We're getting it. We're getting it. Here's the deal. If you're, like, if you're new and you're like, I don't know what the gospel is, just give me your best guess, okay? You're like, I know what the best Easter candy is, but I don't know what the gospel is. That's fine. Nobody's going to pick on you. It's anonymous. Just give me the, your best guess. What is, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? There we go. The word of God, the good news, Jesus, love, truth, perfect. This is great. You guys are doing awesome. Keep them coming. Keep them coming. 77 people so far. 80, there we go. Let's get to 90. 85, 87. Maybe we won't get to 90. There we go. All right. Sweet. Here's what I want to do this morning. Real quick, before we get into our text that is going to answer this question for us. I mean, I want to categorize these words. I haven't read all of them, but I'm guessing that almost all of these fit into the category, kind of the broad category of gospel, right? So the winner here is good news, right? Now, here's the problem with good news. Good, gospel literally means good news, okay? And I'm asking, the question I'm asking is, what is the gospel? So what is the good news? I know it means good news, but what is? is it? Like what actually happened? Like what is the good news? And so all of these things, or at least most of them, um, are fit into one of three categories, okay? One of them may or may not be, I can't find it yet, um, is, is that is the thing that actually happened, the good news. Many of them are things that had to happen in order for the good news to be the good news, and some of them are implications of the good news, things we get as a result. Now, they kind of all fit into the bucket of the gospel, but I'm looking for what is it? What actually happened? So we see um, in the Word of God, again, that's super broad. I'm looking for a specific thing. What is the good news? What happened? All right, Jesus. Jesus is good, but like what did Jesus do? Um, let's find something here. The good news of Jesus. There's a lot of good newses. The story of the good news. Uh, again, a lot of good news. Um, I can't see. Okay, salvation. Power of God for salvation. Okay, that's biblical. Okay, salvation. Now, real quick, which category does that fit into? Is that 
It is salvation, right? What had to happen in order for the good news to be. Is it the good news? Is it what happened? Or is it an implication? Is salvation something we get as a result of what happened? Which one do you guys think it is? Okay. Which one, two, or three? Three. Okay, it is. It's an implication. We, are, we receive salvation because of what happened. But what happened? What is the good news, right? So grace is a big one. The word of God is super broad. Good news is super broad. Love, yes. So, so love, love. Is, is love what had to happen, what did happen, or is it, is it what we receive as a result of what happened? This is a tricky one. One, two, or three. It's kind of all of them, right? If God didn't love us, we don't get any of it, right? For God so loved the world, right? He had, it had to happen before. It had to, it, was a, it had to happen in order for any of those things to happen. So it's, mostly, it's mostly one, right? So there's one little one there that says Jesus is king. That's true. I want to argue this morning, though, that the gospel is this. What actually happened is this. Are you guys ready? Jesus became king. Jesus became king. That is what happened. And this morning, what I want to argue, what I want to say, is that Jesus became king through his death and resurrection. What happened is his death and resurrection. And that had to happen so that he could become King. Here at Flourishing Grace, we are in the midst of a, of, a, of a series called The Pursuit of the Kingdom. And we're going to continue that this morning. And we're going to, I'm going to show you this morning that through his death and through his resurrection, Jesus became king. Jesus became king through his death and resurrection. That's what I want you to see this morning. Jesus has not always been king. I know for some of you that might be hard to believe. Jesus has not always been king. He became king. We see this so clearly. Now, he's always been God. He's always been God. He has, he has infinitely been God, and he will always be God. Forever and ever, Jesus is God. And we see this in the, in the text this morning um, in Philippians 2. Christ, Jesus Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, fully, completely, the substance, the essence, he was fully the form of God. That's who he was. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He puts on human flesh. He becomes a human. God puts on humanity, and he dwells among us. Being, um, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He dies on the cross. He raises from the grave. Now look at the next word, verse 9. Therefore, therefore, God has, therefore, given what happened, category number one, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. God has given him power and dominion and authority. Jesus has become king. In Matthew 28, after the resurrection of Jesus, famous line, right? In the great commission of Jesus, Jesus says, Therefore, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
It's been given to him. He has become king. This is the good news. This is what has happened. And so the question is, if Jesus became king, who, who's, who was king before he was? Who ruled the world before Jesus ruled the world? Any guesses? Both good answers. Somebody said man. Somebody said Satan. Satan ruled the world. Satan usurped the authority. He took it for himself. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 5, or sorry, Ephesians 2, 1 through 2. He says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is at work, now working the sons of disobedience, the prince of The world was under the control of a wicked and tyrannical prince who usurped the power, usurped the authority. Who did he take it from? Who did Satan take the power and the authority from? Any guesses? Nobody? Not God. Yeah, not God. Satan couldn't overpower God. That's ridiculous. He can't overpower God. He can't trick him. He can't fool him. There's no way he could ever take God's power or authority or might. He took ours. He took Adam's. We sang of it earlier. Jesus became the true and better Adam. In Genesis 1, 26, God makes man, right? It says, let us make man in our image, plural. It's the Godhead, it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. We don't have time to get in the Trinity this morning. It's Easter, okay? We're focusing on the resurrection, people, all right? Listen, I know some of you are like, oh, thank goodness. All right, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them, listen, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over all of the earth. Let them have dominion. God forms everything by his power and his might. He creates every planet and every star and every moon and every substance in the galaxy, all carbon and oxygen and all of the elements. And he places man in the garden. He says, here, rule the earth. You have dominion over the earth. And so in the garden, in chapter 3 of Genesis, Satan is usurping the authority of man, not the authority of God. He could not defeat God. He could not, but he sees an opportunity to turn man away from God. And he lures him in. You see, there's nothing magical about the fruit in the garden. It's not like Snow White. Remember Snow White? She, like, the, the witch like, made the apple poisonous, and there was like this crazy special apple. That's not what's happening. Satan is saying, come follow me. I have something better for you than what God has for you. And so the true ruler of all, the God of all things, Adam and Eve turn away from him and they turn towards Satan. And in that moment, the dominion of earth breaks. It's broken. And Satan usurps the power, usurps the authority. C.S. Lewis, um, the great theologian in Britain during World War II, and he understood this, he grasped this. And he articulated it perfectly in, in the children's book, The Chronicles of Narnia. Any of you guys ever seen the movie or read the book, Chronicle, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? A few of you guys. A few of you guys are like, I have no idea what, you do, what you're talking about. It's only going to get weirder. Because um, it's a crazy story. 
Because in it, right, these, these kids, Edmund and Susan and Lucy, they stumble through the wardrobe into this like magical enchanted land where animals talk, all right? It's, it's, I told you, it's gonna get crazier, right? And it's like it's snow everywhere. It's cold and it's freezing. And we learn that it's always winter, but never Christmas. Because the power of the land has been usurped from men by a wicked white witch. She holds the dominion over the land of Narnia. And all of the animals are afraid of her. They either serve her or they are hiding in fear of her. And Edmund and Susan and Lucy kind of find their places. And there's this, there's this prophecy in Narnia that when the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve once again return to the throne of Ker Paravel, Aslan will make all things right. Aslan, the Christ figure, he will return. He's coming again. He's going to set it right. And there will be beauty in the land and there will be Christmas. It's this picture of, man, nothing is right. Nothing is the way it's supposed to be. It's cold and it's dark. It's winter, but never Christmas. It's broken. It's fractured. And many of you know what this means because you live it every day. Broken marriages, broken homes, broken careers, broken hopes, broken dreams. You live under the prince of the power of the air. You've experienced his domain, what the Bible calls the domain of darkness. You've lived in it. John says it this way in 1 John 5, 19. He says, we know that we are from God. God has made us. He's formed us. We know this. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. It lies in his power. It lies in his authority. In Matthew 5, the Spirit of God leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Satan takes Jesus up onto the top of a high mountain. He says, look, all the kingdoms of the world, all the nations, I'll give them to you if you bow down and worship me. And we've jacked this up. So many people have been taught, oh, it's just Satan lying. He doesn't actually own the kingdoms of the world. He doesn't actually own the nations. Oh, he does. The Bible is clear. It's his dominion. He has authority over the nations of the earth, including ours, including ours. It belongs to him, belongs to him. And you guys know it. Turn on the TV and tell me it doesn't belong to him. Turn on the TV and tell me that what you see is of Satan or of God. It is the domain of darkness. We live under the curse of sin and death. This is what Adam and Eve have brought into the world. The kingdom of this world has been broken and fractured. And it's now what the scripture calls the domain of darkness under the sin of curse. Sorry, under the curse of sin and death. We live in a broken and fallen world. Now, as Christians, we need to know this that the world, everything in it, is under the rule of a tyrannical prince. And the good news is that this rule and reign has been shattered by the true king. And one day, a day not long from now, that king is coming again to kill that prince and put an end to all deception and injustice. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more mourning. That day is coming for us. And it began, it began 2,000 years ago. This is when Jesus became king. And he did so through his death and through his resurrection. How did Jesus regain the dominion? How did he get the kingdom back? On the cross, Jesus is purchasing us out of the domain of darkness. That is the work of the cross. It's a purchasing us 
out of the domain of darkness. It's making a way for us to, be, to come out of the domain of darkness, right? In Philippians 2, he emptied himself. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He gives everything to purchase you by his blood. This is what's happening on the cross. Paul puts it this way in Romans 14. He says, for to this end, or for this reason, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the living and the dead, or of the dead and the living. This is the reason. This is the reason for the death and for the resurrection of Jesus, is that he might become Lord, the commander, the ruler, the king of both the living and the dead. He now owns a kingdom. And we now have a choice. Do we remain in the domain of darkness? Or do we enter into what the Bible calls the kingdom of his marvelous light? This is what he has purchased. He has purchased our ability to enter into the kingdom of his marvelous light. He's covered us by his blood, not our merit. There's nothing that you can do to earn your way into the kingdom of his marvelous light. He doesn't look at you and say, man, you're good enough. Like you've prayed enough. You've read your Bible enough. So welcome on into the kingdom of marvelous light. That's not how it works. We're covered by his blood and his blood alone. It is by his blood, not our merit, that we enter into the kingdom of marvelous light. And right now, right now, because of his resurrection, there is a king who rules over a kingdom of marvelous light. And we choose. Do we pursue the domain of darkness, the nations and the kingdoms of this world? Or do we pursue the one true king, the king who will rule and reign forever? More. This is the good news. Jesus became the Savior King, the King of all. He purchased the kingdom and his subjects back from the ruin of sin by submitting to death, death on a cross, the sin-bearing, wrath-drinking crucifixion. If Palm Sunday, Jesus is declaring that he's becoming king, his death is his crowning and the resurrection is the beginning of his rule. The resurrection is the seal, the mark of the new king. That Jesus is the authority of all things, even death. He has removed sin and death by his cross and established a new kingdom where there is no sin and there is no death. Jesus became king through his death and resurrection. That's the first thing that I want you guys to see this morning is that Jesus became king through his death and resurrection. But there's better news than that. They say, hang on a second, it's Easter. You can't say there's better news than the resurrection. That's heresy. Like you can't, you don't get to say it. No, there is. There's better news. And here it is. The king is coming back. The king's coming back. The resurrection is not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story. It's barely the beginning of the story. It's the beginning of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is now. The kingdom of heaven is the thing that Jesus talked about more than he talked about anything else. Read your Bible. The thing that Jesus talked about more than he talked about anything else in the world is the kingdom of heaven. And it's right now. He has established it. And the choice is ours now. But he's coming back. His rule and reign has just begun. It has not come to completion. He is going to eliminate all of the powers of darkness. All of the kingdoms of the world will be absolutely eradicated. 
And Satan, in his domain, and his dominion, will be put to death. It will be no more at the return of our king. I want to read for you this morning what that return looks like from Revelation 19. John sees a picture of this return in Revelation 19.11. It reads this way. Then I saw heaven opened up, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. In righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like the flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. That is the name upon which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. He is clothed in a robe dripped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. My assumption is that most of you, not all of you, but most of you in this room have gathered in this room today to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. I know some of you don't believe that. I know some of you are like, ah, like my grandma made me come. That's fine. I'm glad you're here. Um, I love your grandma too. Uh, but most of you are here because you're like, man, I, I want to get in the room. I want to sing songs of the resurrection. I want to be reminded of the power of the resurrection. Of necessity, in believing that Jesus rose from the dead, you believe that he's coming again. Paul says in Corinthians 15, he says, Man, people who don't believe that, people who believe that Jesus came and he died and he rose, but he's not coming back, are to be a people pitied above all, a people pitied most of all. How pitiful is it to think that Jesus died and rose again and our hope is just in this life and then it's over? That's a pitiful thing to believe. The implications of the resurrection is that the king has come and he's coming again. Jesus became king and he's coming back. And one day, as Paul says in our text this morning, one day, every knee will bow. In verse 9, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every other name. That's happened. But what has not yet happened is this. So that, so that at the name of Jesus, a future day, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. A day is coming when every knee in heaven, every angel, every angelic being, every crazy heavenly creature that is described in Revelation, all of them will bow before the name of Jesus. Every creature on earth, every bear and lion and frog and every substance, every insect, every living creature. And that includes you and me. And even under the earth, every demon, every murderer, every Hitler, every rapist, every single one of them will bow and declare with their tongue that Jesus Christ is king. He's Lord. He's commander of all. That he has purchased. He has purchased his people, out from underneath the domain of darkness and ushers them into the kingdom of his marvelous light. And so friends, the last thing that I want you to see this morning 
is that the resurrection of our king, Jesus becoming king, in his return, has deep implications on your life right now. You see, you will never, in that day, you will not bow to the king of career advancement. You will not bow to the Lord of success. You will never bow to the Lord of fame. You never bow to the Lord of beauty or social media. You're never going to bow to the Lord of a big house or a nice car. You're never going to bow to the Lord of fill in the blank. And yet the reality is, while most of us are here to celebrate the resurrection, we spend most of our time pursuing those kings and those kingdoms. We come in here one day a year, we say, Jesus is king. And we live the rest of our lives as though he's not. The last words of Jesus in the Bible come in Revelation. Revelation 22. Surely I'm coming soon. Friends, our king is coming back. He's coming back soon. One day, not long from now, he's going to bring a new heaven and a new earth. He's going to restore all things. He's going to make all things new. And those who have entered into the kingdom of his marvelous light will be ushered into a new heaven and a new earth where there will be no more mourning. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more death. And everything else, everything that has submitted itself to the domain of darkness will be absolutely destroyed. And you might say this morning, man, that's harsh. It is harsh. But it's the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. And here's the good news. We have a kind and benevolent king who loves you. I don't know your story. Some of you I do. Some of you I know really, really, really well. But it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, what your past is, who your parents are, what your socioeconomic status is. It doesn't matter. That king loves you so much that he gave up his life for you to purchase your way out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of his marvelous light. He loves you. He has taken the wrath of God for you and borne it on himself. All of your sin and all of your shame, he placed it on himself because he loves you. He delights in you. He's calling you. He's wooing you and pursuing you now into the kingdom of his marvelous light. And so what kingdom are we pursuing this morning? Are you going to take him up on that offer? Have you taken him up on that offer? Are you taking him up on that offer now? Every day, are you taking him up on that offer? Jesus calls us to this. He says, seek first, what? The kingdom of God. Is that the primary pursuit of your life? Is that the thing that you're chasing after above all other things? Or is it good grades, a hot spouse, a better job, a job at all? What are you pursuing? What are you giving your energy and your effort and your attention to? Is the first pursuit of your life, the primary pursuit of your life, the kingdom of God? Friends, I'm pleading with you this morning, not because I gain anything from it. I gain nothing from you pursuing the kingdom of God. If you never come back to Flourishing Grace Church again, I don't care as long as you pursue the kingdom of God. That's all I want. 
I want to see you find the glory and the beauty and the delight and the worth and the splendor and the majesty of Jesus, the King, the, of God Almighty. I want you to know him, to be known by him. I want you to know his love and his affection for you. I want you to turn your face towards him and to see his face turn towards you. I want you to see that he's given everything for you so that you might be freed from the kingdom of the dominion of darkness, freed from the curse of sin and death, freed to enter in to the kingdom of his marvelous light. There's an invitation on the table for you. Maybe you made that decision a long time ago. You've been pursuing all the things of this world. There's an invitation to turn back, to seek first once again the kingdom of God. Maybe you've done it never done it. Maybe you've never turned and maybe you've never declared, Jesus, you are king of everything. All authority in heaven and earth is yours. And so free me from the domain of darkness. Usher me into the kingdom of your marvelous light. He stands ready to do that because he's risen from the dead. He stands ready to welcome you in, to help you by his power and his might into the kingdom of his marvelous light. I know some of you this morning, you, you've been fighting the domain of darkness your entire life. Jealousy and greed have been the things, have been your thing that has got us hooks in you. Satan keeps saying, come look over here. This fruit's better. The fruit of my kingdom is better. The fruit of my kingdom is better. Friends, my hope is that today you will wake up and say, oh, I see it's not. It's not. And you'll see it before it's too late. I want to give us just a few minutes just to reflect on this, to process, to see what God might be saying to us this morning. That's why I invite you to just bow your heads with me. And I, I just want a moment for you to just take a deep breath and slow down. And turn your attention towards the King of Kings. Is he the one who sits on the throne of your heart? Or has another taken its place? Where are you spending the most of your time, money, attention, effort, energy? Is he the one or has another taken his place? Are you seeking first the kingdom of God? Have you entered in? Does he rule your life? Is he conquering every corner, every square inch of your existence? Or are you smacking his hand away and fighting him off and allowing greed and jealousy and power and status to win? What kingdoms are you pursuing? What kings are you allowing to rule over you? What king are you seeking to become? My hope, my prayer today is that you would cry out to him, that you would see how dependent you are on him because you will never, you will never choose him. He must choose you. So would you cry out to him this morning? Jesus, pull me out of the domain of darkness and drag me kicking and screaming into the kingdom of your marvelous light. 
I am more desperate and more dependent on you than I can possibly begin to imagine. And I need you. I believe that you have come to this earth, that you've been clothed in human flesh. That you gave up your life, you became obedient to death, even death on a cross. I believe that you've risen from the grave and therefore God has highly exalted you and made you king, given you dominion, given you authority in heaven and earth. It's all yours. And I believe that one day, every knee will bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that you are Lord, the commander of all. So take command of my life. Take command of my life. May my heart beat for you and you alone. I am too weak. I need you. I need you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.